Welcome back to Mundaria Legends. I am your host, Michael Stone. Before we get too far into the episode, I should mention I do have a pretty good cold, but I am going to try my best to make sure that the recording turns out all right regardless. Just a little disclaimer. Now, as a reminder, if you've enjoyed the show, there are three easy things you can do to help support it. First, you can leave a review or a rating. That really helps the almighty algorithms out there to choose to offer this show to others who may enjoy epic fantasy. Second, you can subscribe to the show on Patreon, where you can choose how much to contribute to Mandaria Legends to directly offset the costs of its production. And, most importantly, you can simply tell others you know about this show. Because, as I have said many times, the best way to enjoy a story is by sharing the experience of it with someone else. And, though Sean O'Melveny did already contribute a character to this series, he had just too good a suggestion for the name of the place our characters are going to visit today that I just had to include it in this story. It's the city of Biblioum. Now, without further ado, we bring to you episode six in season two, Dark Portent. The Penelopus and its crew were blind in the morning fog. It hung like an ominous curtain over the ocean, causing the helmsmen to insist that they reduce speed to avoid a shipwreck. They were very close to the island, according to Sir Clipsos, and the fog was natural. That much Loella could confirm. It had taken several days at sea for the crew to adjust to having their tormentor turned prisoner as an ally. There was still a great deal of distrust towards their prisoner, but Captain Reichlow, who had conferenced with Senator Loella on the matter, became convinced that trusting the Cthulhu was a toss of the dice, for sure, but one that had to be taken, in his words at least. He had insisted that the crew give their unusual guest their respect, and, short of that, some space. Judging by the way most of the men practically stumbled over themselves to get out of the Cthulhu's way when he approached, they had opted for the latter option. With respect, Senator, can't you just pull this fog down with your hydromancy? One of the sailors had complained as he caught sight of the Senator sitting in her palanquin by the helm. The bald man's eyes did not show the same level of deference or awe that the Senator had seen from so many other humans, especially before she had personally vouched for the illusionist who had just a week ago had this man and his companions drinking as happily from a food trough as calves from underneath their mother. Although it is slowing us down, the fog is also giving us cover as we approach the island, the senator explained. We are not sure what the state of affairs is exactly in Roe. There is a good chance that with all the civil unrest and neighboring Kier, that the College of Sentinels' games of intrigue may have well preceded us to this island. Loella caught the bald man's wary glance towards Sir Clipsos, who stood just beside the senator's palanquin. Had Loella the temperament of the late King Aglam, she might have been tempted to throw the man into the brig for the borderline insubordination of his rueful stare at both of them. But, fortunately, Loella knew better than Aglam did when it came to matters like these. Authority was not something inherited by title or lineage, but a trust that was earned by extending that same trust to those in a leader's charge. 
Loella hadn't been the one to experience what it was, to experience such humiliation as this man and the rest of the crew had lived through, and, though she was certain of the Cthulhu's intentions now, experience with a certain old healer had taught her to always maintain careful discretion regarding those whom she decided to trust as allies. Another sailor came flying down from the crow's nest, handling a pulleyed rope in one hand as he raised a closed fist with his other. That was a signal. The man had successfully spotted the port. They had arrived. And within a minute, the senator could finally see for herself the outlines of the fabled city of learning she had heard of all her life. Biblioum. Towering spires reached into the sky, surrounded by stone walls at the harbor. The massive city's shadow slowly materialized into view, but, despite the presence of the fog, no lights shone at the harbor. Captain Reichlow quickly hurried his way to the helm. He raised his hand and then quickly gave the signal to his crew, slicing his hand through the air in a sharp diagonal fashion three times. The sails began to be immediately drawn up, and Loella watched as other soldiers began to weigh the anchor down into the water. No one can guide us into port safely, the senator sighed. This does not bode well for us. Or for anyone, she observed, casting a concerned look toward Sir Clipsos. His brow hardened, his fierce orange eyes unflinching as they studied the silent reception of the empty harbor. Again, I sense no shadowmancy here, but you are correct to approach this place warily, Senator. I cannot remember a single time in my life when this place has been so deadly silent. This harbor is but three city blocks away from the central marketplace, and even from here I would have expected to hear the merchants' incessant cawing for buyers, the Cthulhu commented in his typical resonant voice. Whatever is going on at Roe, I have difficulty believing that it will be anything welcome for your crew. You will need my help again in the city, the illusionist stated, more as a matter of fact than as any kind of request. I believe taking the most obvious route to the great library in this instance would be most foolhardy and would risk an ambush of some sort. You will want to have me guide you in, through a passage only we sentinels know about. And the seers, of course. Loella nodded in agreement. Part of her was glad that they hadn't been seen yet, at least from what they could tell, but not knowing where potential threats could be was disconcerting. Fortunately, we will not need to go by land to get to the Great Library. The College of Seers had designed their entire city with a truly cosmopolitan goal in mind. They wanted everyone to be able to access their tomes, the illusionist sniffed. We had warned them, we had tried for so long to warn them that having such a gullible policy would one day prove their ruin. I pray that we haven't just been proven right, Sir Clipsos added mournfully. The harbor could be empty for any number of reasons. 
Luella reassured the Cthulhu, as much as she was encouraging herself. And there is every chance that whatever the reason is, that it will not endanger or concern us. We have come this far. You and I both need answers for our people, Sir Clipsos. Whatever threat this island may pose, we have little other choice. Captain! Senator! A crewmate called out in a hoarse whisper as he ran up to the helm. We're not alone! There's another ship in port! And sure enough, as Loella, Ryklo, and Sir Clipsos all turned to look to their right, they saw another ship, similarly perched with its anchor some distance away from the harbor. Its hull rose quite a bit higher over the waves, with row upon row of cannon bristling out its sides, and above its mast, proudly waving in the dim, fog-obscured light of the morning, a red flag with a distinctive black glyph of a finely hewn stone gently fluttered in the light breeze. Ryklo was the first to give voice to the disbelief everyone who had seen the ship was feeling. Dwarves? That's their flag, isn't it? What in the Void's name could they be doing here? Luella shook her head. I have no idea. But, she began, as she got a better look at the vessel, they couldn't have been here very long. Look, there's no build-up of barnacles on the wood, and a lantern has been left on that ship. You can tell from that faint glow through the window down there below deck. We may not know about anyone else on row, but we do know that the dwarves are, in fact, here. All the more reason to proceed carefully, Sir Clipsos concluded. If there ever were a race of people whom the College of Seers should have kept their tomes closed to, it was the dwarves. I have never known any people so willfully stubborn or so short-sighted. Loella and Ryklo gave an awkward look to Sir Clipsos as he finished his somber analysis. When he saw the bemusement on their faces, he quickly was flustered and said, No, I, I mean they really only see the affairs of the world through the lens of the now, the immediate. I do not indulge in such base puns on purpose. Any species can be any size they want to, and it makes little difference to me. The Cthulhu harumphed. A sailor behind Sir Clipso snorted. Little difference, he laughed. The Cthulhu sharply turned around. Don't you have anything better to do? The illusionist snapped. Eyes wide, the sailor turned away as quickly as he can. Uncomfortable memories of the last time he crossed a shadowmancer the wrong way, certainly nipping at his heels. Ryklo closed his eyes briefly, trying to pretend the past ten seconds didn't happen. We'll maintain position here, then. If the dwarves are here with the ship, we'd best be ready to leave as soon as you get back. Loella nodded, also adding, We'll just have to be quick. Sir Clipsos and I will go in, locate whatever information we can about Zeru, and, hopefully in doing so, we can learn what has happened to this place or why the dwarves would be here. And as soon as Loella's palaquin had been brought to the side of the Penelopus, she and Sir Clipsos both dove into the water. Loella could only imagine what some of the crew were thinking, 
Probably that she was mad to be so blindly trusting an illusionist who had proven so powerfully the danger he had presented to everyone. But her gut told her that Sir Clipsos was still their best shot. If the Cthulhu had truly meant some subterfuge against her, he would have tried to deceive them long before this. At the very least, she could confirm what Sir Clipsos had told them about the harbor area. There were no active illusions she could detect. The fog coated the atmosphere, and there were no unexplained flows of the heavy mist through any illusory walls, and no unexplained pockets of clear air devoid of water droplets either. There were no illusionists here. At least, none that were actively using their powers where the fog hung. She followed Sir Clipsos, who, underwater, appeared as a pulsing mass of robed tentacles, propelling himself forward towards a stone wall with a circular round opening. For a moment, Loella was afraid they were entering the city's sewers, but as she began swimming through the large underwater ducts, she saw that this was simply another part of Biblioam proper. Along the edges of these massive ducts, which were large enough to fit several whales swimming along side by side, there were benches to rest on, shops and bars and homes, and all manner of structures nestled along the curved length of the stone waterway. But down here, as was the case in the harbor above, the streets were empty. The water Loella could sense was still. And as far as she could reach out with her hydromancy, which was somewhat farther than she had been able to sense before she had begun using it more intensively at Cruz, and then on this hunt for Zeru, nothing but the smallest of fishes stirred the waters. She said as much to Sir Clipsos, whose somber eyes took the news as opaquely as he could manage, though Loella had to pick up her pace considerably afterwards to keep up with him. Whatever had happened to the denizens of Biblioam, the mystery had Sir Clipsos unnerved as well. Eventually, the Cthulhu swam towards one particular shop after taking Loella through a few different turns in the crisscrossing underwater tunnels. Though abandoned, Loella could smell, only as a merfolk like herself could, the fetid, stagnant contents of the shop Sir Clipsos was taking her into. Her fears that she would have to swim through a sewer returned with a vengeance. What is this, Eclipsos? she said through a covered mouth. I thought we were headed to the great library. We are, Eclipsos confirmed. But when we decided to construct an alternative route to the library, the College of Sentinels thought it best that we place it somewhere where no one in their right mind would consider looking around too closely. And, as Loella feared, the sign above the shop they were entering bore the title, Makel's Manure, Guaranteed Fresh, Guaranteed Hot. You can't be serious, Loella protested. There is no way that one of the most secretive and powerful organizations in the world, like the College of Sentinels, would tolerate this kind of ludicrous strategy. And that's exactly why it has never been discovered. The point of having a secret entrance, after all, is putting it somewhere others would never think to look, Sir Clipsos commented, not stopping or slowing at all, as he swam through the storefront into its back room, with Loella reluctantly following. Still, it would be best if you close your mouth for a bit while we go past the... product, 
in this facility. The entrance is just in the back, and it seems that whoever was supposed to be maintaining its illusion has disappeared along with the rest of the city. So you'll be able to see it. Luella indeed was able to see the simple tunnel that had been carved into the back wall, without ornamentation or finesse, just a simple opening of rock where it had seemed someone had just broken through the store's brick walls with steel pickaxes. The hole was comfortably large enough for Loella to swim through, but she did have to reach out her arms to the sides of the tunnel to keep herself oriented in the darkness. Fortunately, Sir Clipsos informed her that the tunnel was a relatively straight shot to the Great Library, so while she did swim a little more slowly in that pitch-black dark, she was able to quickly make her way through until what once had been a faint light at the far opposite end of the tunnel, ahead of Sir Clipsos's silhouette, widened into the secret entrance's opening into the Grand Library itself. Loella had not been sure what to expect when she came into the Great Library, she knew it had portions above and under the water, with the more precious important prophecies and records written in stone and metal tablets below the water's surface. High ceilings stretched upwards, with tall vaulted windows casting the pale morning light into the vast space. What she had not expected, however, was that where there should have been rows of tablets kept in orderly fashion along stone shelving, there instead lay rubble and ruin. Sir Clipsos's eyes widened in horror along with Loella's as they took in the catastrophe that lay before them. The shelving had almost been completely pulverized, leaving only bricks, mortar, and broken stone prophecies littered in row upon row. The devastation lay all around the massive cross-shaped chamber, large enough to fit well over a dozen ships the size of Penelopus in. The Cthulhu illusionist and the merfolk senator stopped, petrified by the unbelievable destruction. Who? Who could have done this? Who would have wanted to do this? Sir Clipsos mourned. He swam over to a nearby pile of rubble, where with shock, Loella recognized what he had seen that she hadn't. He was reaching out to a tentacle that had been trapped under the stone. And as she looked around, she saw again and again even more dead Cthulhu, trapped under the rubble of their own knowledge. This man, his name was Apollon, Sir Clipsos intoned mechanically, trying to mask as best as he could the pain still shaking him to the core. And this woman, Cassandra, she was one of the most accomplished seers in the college. Then, startled by some disturbing thought that struck him, Sir Clipsos quickly whirled around. Senator, please, I need your help, quickly. There were twenty-four seers in the college. They wore purple robes with gold markings of this star, this, this glyph, this glyph of the wielders of prophecy. I need you to help me see. His voice trailed off, haunted by the possibility of what he was implying. You, you need to know if, if they are all dead, Loella quietly finished. Sir Clipsos nodded somberly. If I can ask, 
Noella began. No, please, please just help me find them. You search the north and western wings. I'll check the southern and eastern wings starting here. Don't forget to look above the water's surface as well. Sir Clipsos cast his glance upwards, flinching as he did so. It seems that whatever or whoever was responsible for this destruction saw to obliterating the records and prophecies up there as well. And so, Loella swam off, darting as fast as she could towards the two adjacent wings ahead of her. It was a grim, silent labor, tallying the dead. There were several other Cthulhu trapped in the rubble along with the seers. But it was only here and there that she caught sight of the distinctive purple hue that the bodies of Apollon and Cassandra had worn. As she completed her survey, she met Sir Clipsos in the middle of the wrecked library. Seventeen, Loella reported. I saw seventeen. Sir Clipsos blanched. And I had hoped we were more fortunate when I had only found six. The pair looked at each other for a moment, realizing the significance of what they had just discovered. You are certain you counted seventeen. You are absolutely certain of that, Sir Clipsos demanded, seizing Loella by the shoulders. Yes, I am positive, Senator Loella insisted. That means there's still one left out there somewhere. Or that the 24th is completely buried somewhere in the rubble out of sight, Sir Clipsos grieved. I still need to know, Sir Clipsos, Loella asked. How did you know that there were only 24 of the seers left? And, and why? Why would there be so few? And not to put too fine a point on it, but I had thought the sentinels and seers were enemies, so why? Sir Clipso stared at Loella, conflicted, worried. He studied her for a moment and then relented. Why would a sentinel be so affected by the loss of these seers? Because, Loella, they are still my people. We are all Cthulhu, and like the sentinels, they treasured knowledge as well. I do not mourn just for these seers who lie dead. By the time word of this disaster reaches the nations of the world, all will have cause to mourn, Sir Clipsus pronounced with a harrowed voice. He looked around the ruined library around them, grief-stricken eyes wide with loss. Mundaria has lost everything. So much of our past, as well as our future, was recorded here and so much of the different peoples of the world as they are now. All those records, all our people's prophecies. Sir Clipsos picked up a bit of stone, which had some writing on one flat side of it. This, this level of destruction, will never be able to recover this knowledge. Regardless of whatever our world's accomplishments may be after this day, Despite whatever golden age any of our civilizations may experience in the future, we have lost so 
much more. Sir Clipsos returned the stone fragment to the ground, as if placing a memorial to the fallen. We have a saying among the Cthulhu, that the seers are well named, for they are the eyes of the world. But now, whoever, or whatever has done this, has now left our world blind. Luella sighed, looking about at the library that had become a graveyard. I know I probably can't very well imagine what you are going through, but I still need to know more about this situation. We still have a mission to complete, and what you know about this college may well help us find that last seer. Now please tell me, why were there so few seers left in the first place? Sir Clipso sat himself amongst the rubble, eyes still fixed on the destruction around him. Though we, the Sentinels, have worked hard to keep things like this secret from the rest of the world, I am surprised that you have not already guessed the answer to that question, Senator. You are a public figure, after all. Tell me, how do you think the world perceives the seers? Luella shifted uneasily. She couldn't forget her own animosity towards the Cthulhu in general, or how their prophecies had been such a centerpiece of the death of so many of her people and her friends. But it was difficult to distrust and blame those who now lay dead around her. Sir Clipsos caught sight of Loella's discomfort. Yes, Senator, I know you know what I am referring to. The Seers did have a reputation among the peoples of the world for meddling in others' affairs, and when they shared their prophecies with them, especially the prophecies they had concerning the more troublesome aspects of their futures. The blame for such outcomes often fell on the shoulders of these seers. Not even we sentinels were completely immune to this kind of bias against them. We always thought the seers were too moralistic, too self-righteous in the judgments they would make. Their prophecies antagonized the peoples of the world needlessly, and we had warned them that sharing the knowledge of the future would only invite danger. Is that what you are suggesting happened here? I can understand why maybe different people in the world would resent the seers, but to the point of genocide, Loella inquired, her own incredulity at the disaster around them, weighing down each word she spoke. This did not happen in a day, Senator. The seers have long been hunted, hated. As I said, we sentinels have often seen the seers as too moralistic, too self-righteous. They frankly had little regard for the reception their prophecies would have, and too often they would point out the most uncomfortable truths of a culture as they did so. They called out the greed of the dwarves, promising destitution would come if they wouldn't let it go. They tried to dissuade the Draconids, I believe, from hunting dragonkind, warning that they in turn would be hunted. Even you, Maelli, had received prophecies, criticizing your treatment of humans and your kingdoms, and promising that you in turn would become subjected to higher powers for it. 
and over the years, we sentinels began to observe a pattern. Seers would go missing with each prophecy, their bodies never found, accidents, unexplained early deaths. You believe that they were being killed off? Loella gasped. The seers were naive fools, Senator, Sir Clipso sighed. They were victims of their own knowledge. They couldn't help but see how much better the world could be, and in trying to manage and better shape the course of the future for their neighbors, they often neglected to search out their own fortunes, or to guard themselves from the consequences of sharing their prophecies. That is why we tried to protect them for we treasured the knowledge they had. We had also seen how the nations of the world tried to use the seers for their own advantage, seeking out ways to weaken or destroy each other using their prophetic gifts. That only made the seers even higher priority targets. And, and they couldn't see something like this coming? Loella marveled. How could they have missed this kind of disaster with all the prophesying they did? As I said, they didn't pay attention to their own fortunes, Sir Clipsos emphasized. It's the most natural thing for any culture to do. It is much easier to see others' problems and how to fix them, instead of attending to your own. Logical. Though Sir Clipsus's explanation was, Loella still could hardly believe it. And so whatever happened here was just... What? The last step? Why kill all the seers? Sir Clipsus brought himself up from his makeshift seat of rubble. They... They may not all be dead. We still haven't accounted for the last one. Let's... Let's look around a bit more and see if there's any indication, one way or the other, of what may have happened to him or her. Suddenly a noise sounded from above the water's surface. It was someone shouting, ranting. Both Loella and Sir Clipsos immediately glanced at each other, alarmed, and wordlessly swam up to the surface to investigate. Up here, there was similar devastation as there had been down below the water's surface, as Loella and Sir Clipsos had seen previously when they had scoured the area to survey the dead. There was a stone floor that covered most of the library's floor, except for the large cross-like opening that went down the middle of the lengths of each wing of the building. But now, instead of an empty tomb of wrecked bookshelves and corpses, there was now a single Cthulhu running straight towards Loella and Sir Clipsos. In the joining, where feet and fin meet, share I the doom and weep. The Cthulhu practically screamed. Loella instinctively reached out with her hydromancy and began to channel water around her, swirling it into motion, ready to strike out in defense if needed. Wait, no, Senator. He is a seer. The seer. This is Teresiath. The leader of the college. We found him, Sir Clipsos cried. Loella relaxed somewhat, seeing the purple robes and the gold glyphs sewn into it, resembling an eight-pointed star. 
The Cthulhu ran up to the side of the water where Loella and Sir Clipsos had surfaced, not stopping in his rhyming chant. Within! Within! The beast sleeps within! The sacred is vulgar! The hallowed is hollow! The eleventh awakes! Teresiath spat out the words, disjointed and broken. What is he saying? What is wrong with him? Loella asked, worried that perhaps whatever tragedy had struck here may have driven the seer mad. Sir Clipso stared intently at Teresiath for a moment, and then he nearly jumped out of the water as a realization hit him. No, Senator. He's prophesying. And awe-stricken Loella turned towards Teresiath as he continued in his strange rambling. My, my vision is dark. But even so I see, I alone am left. The lights flame in me. Loella shook her head. What is he talking about? Does he know what happened here? But Sir Clipsus gave her no heed, shaking her words away with one of his tentacles. Quiet. A seer may at times only have but one glimpse of something they see in the future, and we are the only others to witness this prophecy being given. He hardly seems like he is even aware of us, Loella complained. Isn't there something we can do to help- Quiet! Sir Clipso spat. Teresiath continued, seemingly ignorant of the quarrel before him. The night will die and time will stop. The sun will chain the world taut. Teresiath gaped in horror, again, at something that only he could see. He groaned as if boiling water had been poured over his head and collapsed to the ground, his tentacles writhing in agony. It's... it's too much for him. He's seen too much, Sir Clipsus thought aloud. Of course, that much at least makes sense. I, I thought we weren't supposed to talk, Luella whispered cuttingly. He's being overwhelmed with visions. I'm not sure everything he is saying is all on the same subject, or about several different things. Sir Clipsus turned to Luella, urgency darkening every line in his aquatic face. I'm not sure how long he can survive like this. If you want your information, Senator... We may need to try to break him away from whatever he's talking about and see if we can't get him to focus on helping us find this Zeru. This may be our only chance. Loella's eyes went wide and immediately turned to Teresiath and swam up to him, using her hydromancy to draw herself up out of the water, somewhat in a small fountain, meeting the Cthulhu eye to eye. Teresiath! Please, Teresiath, we need you to focus! I need to know. Where is Zeru the healer? What is he up to? The remnants will gather, a war to be won, but too late to stop evil, they're bound into one. The prophet ranted, his eyes unfixed still. Teresiath, please tell us, where is Zeru? Zeru, do you know him? Loella practically shouted, shaking Teresiath, as she spoke. The five twins eclipsed in the orphan, Teresiath began, 
but then he stopped abruptly, focusing intently on Luella. Uh, I'm her folk. Not baked, not dry. Your sea is a valley, yet you appear before I. No, we don't need to talk about me. What about Zeru, the healer, a bald elf who has the banishing blade? Luella demanded, exasperated. The elf. Teresiath's voice slowed somewhat, lost some of its frenetic pacing. See, the elf. Yes, please, the elf. What can you tell us about Zeru? Where is he? How can we find him? Loella shouted. Teresiath struggled, but maintained his focus on Loella. He had a pleading look in his eye. I speak true. I answer you. Caught between earth and air. Find the middle path with care. You stand before your king. No Loella, you must be. If it is peace you truly favor, then give up hope. You are no savior. From a fate worse than death, only a fool would spare you. But in only this way will you ever see Zeru. Loella froze, absorbing the riddles Teresiath had spouted. But what, what does any of that mean? Why can't you speak plainly to me, Teresiath? Tell me, what does this mean? It means you're too late. Senator, an all-too-familiar voice called from behind Teresiath. A blade then suddenly struck out from the middle of Teresiath's chest, blood spurting out and onto Loella as the light in Teresiath's eyes faded. Sir Clipsos and Loella both cried out in shock as the seer fell off the blade and into the water, revealing a bald elf triumphantly holding a bloodied sword that could be mistaken as nothing else but the banishing blade. And that is where we will end our story for today. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in to the show on June 1st at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for Episode 7. Now, is it a cheap trick of me to leave us on a cliffhanger like that, especially now that there's a whole month between episodes? Well, yes, that's kind of the overall idea. After all, I am at heart not a very nice person. And the bard did say, to thine own self be true. So there's that. So until next time, remember, you cannot see the hero unless you know the monster. 